Hi everyone, it's Sophie here. Just wanted to let you know about another podcast I host. It's an S-Pod thing, revisiting every episode of S-Club 7's insane TV show. With a different guest each week, we analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. This is Sex and the City for kids. None of this makes any sense. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge-watched this, anyone who's not on drugs. Listen to It's an S-Pod thing wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Smashed Prawns in a Milky Basket, a podcast about the work of comedy writer, performer, director, and all-round genius, Julia Davis. I'm Sophie Davis, no relation, and on each episode, I'm joined by a guest to talk about a different show created by Julia Davis. In this episode, I'm joined by very special guest, Felicity Montague, to talk about her roles in Nighty Night, Sally Forever, and more. So there are lots of things we could talk about in your career, but since this podcast is called Smashed Prawns in a Milky Basket, we should start with Nighty Night. How was it that you came to play Sue too? Had you met Julia before that at all? Uh, well, yes, we we did meet, actually. Um, we met through Alan Partridge um, because she had a of role course. in Alan Partridge, and I think it was in series one. She played a horsey um, pervert. And um, I remember yes. watching her in the studio, coming around to watch her, thinking, my God, she's good. She's really good. Mm-hmm. She's got that danger in her performance. And at that stage, I didn't know she wrote. And then I went to, the, I think before the series, or maybe in between the two series, I went to see her in The Dominion. Um, and she was in Steve's show, where he did other, some of his characters beside Alan Partridge. And she was absolutely fabulous, absolutely fabulous in the show. And I thought, my goodness me, this is a major talent on the scene. It's sort of, you know, you felt like somebody had emerged you know, from your own generation, which is slightly younger than me. Well, she's quite a bit younger than me, I think. But, you know, you suddenly thought, Polly, this is a big person on the scene now. You know, this is someone to sit up and pay attention. And she's going to produce the goods. You sort of instinctively felt, instinctively felt that. And obviously Steve has got a very good nose. And um, mm-hmm. I think I may be wrong, but she may have sent her work to him via an agent or something and he saw it. And he's very clever at sort of sourcing talent. Uh, and and mm-hmm. so that was how I, I kind of met her. I got on very well with her, liked her very much. And then I had an audition for um, Nighty Night a while later. Right, so it was a, an audition. What was sort of there on the page for Sue 2 then when you went to well, audition Well, I wasn't that? up for that part. I was up for another part, um, which I wasn't right for. And oh, okay. Actually, it was, it was Sue 2. Oh, well, just, I'm not going to go into it, but it was basically Sue 2 was the one that I think Julia originally thought that she'd like me to 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 play and I sort of said well Sue too what what is she she hadn't really created the character at that stage but sort of knew knew sort of what she wanted to do with it and um and it kind of emerged the character emerged with us together we worked together and it was so exciting working with her on something um and I'm like to be honest with you when I first kind of saw the part I thought I don't know if I can I really don't know if I can actually do this because I don't know who the woman is but sort of like mm-hmm. Julie was obsessed with um, making the boobs incredibly big. And, you know, <laughs> we go back and they put more of those, you know, pear shapes, silicon pear shapes in me. And I've got big boobs anyway. I thought, oh, Julie, please, do we have to go even further? Now that the nipples were on show. I think, Julie, I'll never, ever live this down. And um, no, I want to go bigger, she said. And anyway, she was absolutely right because that was the character of the woman. You know, she'd obviously had huge breast enhancements and that's what she uses when she talks to men because she... Ha- not very bright, really, and it was sex she was selling. And she'll probably end up an incredibly sad old woman. 
Sue too, but she disingenuous. You don't really know who she is. But fine, when I found her, I found her a really interesting character to play because she's dishonest and um, just carries on on the whim of a wave, really, to the next hiatus or the next situation, but will always make sure that Sue too is okay. And she's, you know, well sorted. She'll find a guy with money. She'll sort herself out. And there are women out mm-hmm. there like that. And inherently, I don't like women like that. But um, I sort of, I sort of did like her. I did like her. <laughs> yeah, it feels like there's a bit of a difference between Sue in series one, where she's very much the sort of vicar's wife, and she's a little bit more sort of reserved. And then in series two, obviously, Gordon is gone, and she feels a bit more sort of desperate and deranged. Was it fun to play those two different sides to her and sort of go a bit more wild in series yeah, two? Yeah, well, I was disappointed that Michael wasn't there, because I'm very fond of Michael. And we go back years, Michael and I, through Angus and all that crowd. I knew them mm-hmm. when they were, you know well, about five years out of university, because I did, I did a series called Alexi Sale Stuff, obviously with Alexi Sale. Yes. And, um, and Harriet Thorpe and Angus Deaton and Mark Williams. And so I got to know uh, Michael through Angus. And so, you know, Michael goes back, you know, many, many, many years, radio shows, you name it. And so he becomes a bit of a club. You know, you become very fond of people. You grow up you grow up with them in your life. And I didn't socialise with Michael, but it's just it's just the jobs that you do and it's it's very, very nice working with people you like and you get on with and you, you are comfortable with and it makes the job so much easier. So when he wasn't in the series, I was a little bit disappointed. Uh, it's a bit like when Amanda Nucci killed off um, Lynn's mother. I was horrified in the second series. And I said, I just can't <laughs> do that. And he said, done, done, done and dusted <laughs> or something like that. And Steve just went, just shut up. We killed her. <laughs> all right. And so that was it. But it's, it's, you get a shock. But yes, of course, I felt very lucky that suddenly Sue, too, could actually take off and become a rather mad you know, a mad woman, because obviously she's the kind of woman who hasn't really got a moral compass or a, a moral inside. And so a woman like that desperately needs someone like Gordon to cling to because, you know, she's a shipwreck, really. She doesn't know who she is, what she's doing in her life. And so, yes, that was clever of Julia. I mean, she's very clever. She's a very deep thinker. Yeah, she definitely shook things up in series two because you, you filmed it in a different location as well. And everything seemed to go out of the window with, uh, you know, they're no, long, they're no longer in the cul-de-sac, you know, they're at the beach and Sue suddenly rocks up and is being very seductive. <laughs> she's desperate for another man, you know, she's desperate to hang on to another yeah. man. She's desperate to find somebody to find herself. And, um, and Julia does loves, you know, creating waves. She loves messing things around. Yeah, looking back on it now, are there any particular favourite scenes that you remember shooting or that you watched and particularly stick in your mind that your favourites? Uh, I loved I loved the hairdressing salons with Ruth um, and Julia. Mm-hmm. I loved I loved the ludicrous relationship they had. Um, I, I enjoyed a dinner party in the first series very, very much filming where yes. it all went horribly wrong and the, the, you know, Dom sort of like fancies just Sue's breasts but doesn't really fancy Sue yeah. it's the breasts he's sex mad and 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 I loved the you know I loved all the, the, the sequences some of them I wasn't in you know just watching the whole thing play out and and I just love watching Julia in high heels doing a workout and I love the um <laughs> her coming in I can't remember if that was the second series I think it was when she came into the the the, the kind of like the village hall on a horse was that the second series or was it the first? Oh, that was the, the funeral in the first series. Well, yeah, it's a Terry's funeral. And I love the first a couple of scenes in the first series where she goes to visit Terry and you realise there's something, mm-hmm. you know, poor guy's, you know, got very, very sick. 
and that she's she's actually saying, you know, you're being very selfish, Terry. And that's just so clever. Uh, so there's those sort of scenes. I loved I loved Kevin and uh, Julia together. I thought they were great scenes. Yeah, yeah. I love I love all the scenes in the church group are always fun where there's um. Jill is dancing to try and seduce Dawn and then there was a sort of past life regression with Kath and in a lot of those scenes you're around sort of having to watch that was it quite hard to keep a straight face um well you know I I don't giggle a lot actually um probably (laughs) should more um because I'm normally my character but sometimes people do break the boundaries I mean Julia does make me laugh Javon Prince makes me laugh there are certain people I work mm-hmm. with where I find it very. I mean, with Steve Coogan, I don't, I, I don't laugh because I'm, there's too much fear around. Not, not a Steve, just of getting it right because <laughs> the, the historical nature of the show, the standard is set so high, and we know the standard was incredibly high in the first series, in the in, in the Linton Travel Tavern. That you know, the nerves when we come back to do when we came back to do this time was you know, can we can we do the same? Can we actually do the same? So there's a lot of nerves in all of that, whereas. I don't know it's, it, when I did I know mean, we're going to get on to it, Sally Forever with, with Julia um, I did giggle a lot actually I felt I felt relaxed because I felt I understood but we'll talk about that in a minute obviously sorry I've jumped but yes there were many many moments in, in Nighty Night that I would uh, in the first series um, I laughed it was liberating because Julia although she writes it she, she does sometimes play around and say well let's just play around a bit and then she'll go off and think about how to structure it I and mean, she's very you know first and foremost she is the writer and you respect that. Um, but she also wants a lot from you too. And I think that's very exciting. Yeah, I know there's a, there's a sort of dinner scene in series two where she's pretending to be pregnant and she's sort of thrashing around everywhere. And there's quite a lot of um, sort of outtakes of that scene because everyone's just cracking up at the dinner table because <laughs> she's just being so over the top, I just know. sort of hurling herself around pretending that she's having a baby. Yeah, well, she's just one of those people you, 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 do, you can't help it. You can't help but laugh because she has wicked eyes although she's an incredibly nice person I have to say and she's very genuine she's got a beautiful family you know she's just a really amazing I think she's an amazing woman actually but yes, she's definitely. she's got danger behind the eyes and that makes her it kind of makes it hopeless when she's doing something treacherously funny you can't help but laugh because she's just so she throws herself into it in a way that you just can't cope really yeah no there were lots of wonderful memories of laughter and I know the public is still very very fond of the series and I guess would it be down to Julia as to whether there's another series I've just no idea really it's hard to tell yeah I mean towards the end of 2018 there was that um screening at the BFI for the uh, 15th anniversary how was that re-watching it with all the cast oh it was wonderful it was absolutely wonderful and, it, and the affection the audience had um, and us all getting up on stage was such a laugh, really. I mean, there was just a, a whole team of us were up there. It was great, you know, and seeing Ruth again was wonderful because she's such a wonderful, um, wonderful, talented person mm-hmm. and, um, you know, becoming a great writer herself in her own right. And, you know, seeing Angus again and, you know, all the crowd, really. Um, Mark Watson is such a laugh. I mean, you know, the character Mark did, the, um, mm-hmm. the dating agency guy, was just genius, really, in the second series. It was genius. I mean, Mark isn't a bloke. He really is a bloke. And to, and, and to play, you know, that finite detail of a very, very, very camp guy, you know, not quite understanding what she's saying, you know, what the, um, Jill's saying, and trying to hide the fact he's a little bit shocked, but not really. I mean, he's just, the way he plays it, I mean, I have to say, I've watched those scenes quite a few times and I, he makes me laugh every time. The two of them, you know, their the relationship with each other is um, sheer genius, actually. 
Yeah, it's a very memorable character, even though it is literally just that one scene. It really does stick in people's minds, just, yeah. And he's got these sort of bra- braces on as well, hasn't he? It's yes. just such an unusual well, there's character. A, there's a film that I was in with Julia, and Julia, you know, bloody Julia, only had about three scenes. She played the, 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 the counsellor um, for the Martin Freeman character and Olivia Coleman. And they are just such memorable scenes. When I think of the movie, when other people say they were just like they were just winning scenes. And Julia is just, you know, she had this character saying, you know, sit a little bit closer, you know, a little bit closer, come a little bit closer. You've got that stage, and the way she does it is just genius. So she she's she's able to do that. She's able to go into a film and, uh, you know, and just like steal. When I was younger, I saw Nighty Night. I'm Alan Partridge and Bridget Jones's Diary oh, all wow. around a similar time. Oh, and for quite a while, I didn't actually realise that th- those three characters were all the same actress. Really? You know, your three characters, because they're all, they're all so different. Yeah. And also I feel like you look and sound very different as all three of them. Do you find that you sort of get recognised for being one particular character more than others? Or do you tend to go a bit more under the radar because you often look quite sort of different on screen? I think I go under the radar a lot. My voice is quite distinctive. I think if I start talking on the bus, or no, not the bus, no one recognises <laughs> me on the bus uh, or the train. It's more if like you're static and you're talking to somebody about a dress or you're talking to somebody about buying something, they'll say, your voice is very familiar, I think I've met you before. But I don't tend to get recognised a lot. I think it's a gradual thing. If I'm around for 30 minutes, people might say, I just... Were you at the nursery school? Were you, were you a parent in the area? Were you, you know, and you, you get asked questions like that. But I guess the thing that people want to talk about a lot is um, Alan Partridge, and they talk about mm-hmm. Bridget Jones. But equally, people who've seen Vanity Fair, I was in Vanity Fair for, you know, I think six episodes, and yes. um, and then there's Doc Martin. So I mean, I'm a, I'm an old bird, really. I've been around quite a long time, so I've been in different sort of things. And it's whether those people like that programme, whether they're Doc Martin lovers or whether they love historical dramas or whether they love comedy or whether they... um, But I suppose you could say that I'm most known for Partridge and Bridget Jones, I guess, but I'm not really a very good judge of my character. I mean, I, I just love acting characters. I'm addicted to looking at people and watching them and then imagining where they go and what their lives are all about and and I just love reproducing that. I love sinking in and you know immersing myself in that character and then and then then finding out all their you know their their world. It's 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 you know when you get the work it's a privilege. It's just a privilege to be there and hopefully you'll be with you know, I've been very lucky with most of the people I've worked in the profession who've been just great and collaborative and um it, you know so yeah I guess that that's the sort of actress I am. Yeah, as you said, you've you've been in lots of different things, I guess, with lots of different audiences. But it does seem, you know, looking at your your credits, there is a huge amount of comedy on there. Was going into comedy something that you sort of wanted from the beginning, or did it just sort of happen that but I didn't, way? I, I was accident? playing a heroin addict at the Royal Court upstairs um, <laughs> after another play I'd done, and um, I the first two plays I did was at the Bush with Mike Bradwell, and I played a very very unhappy stand-up comedian my head was shaven most of my head was shaven and I was fiercely angry and depressed and I don't really think it was a comedy part 
Um, so I thought, well, I'm going to be going into drama. I, don't, I didn't know I was funny. And then I went to the court and I did, it was a very serious heroin addict, a hopeless girl from Wenning Garden City. You know, I got terrific reviews. I was very lucky. I got terrific reviews in both those plays and I got spotted. But I just they just head me, headlined me into comedy straight away. But I remember fighting directors saying, I'm, I'm not going to play a middle-aged woman with my hands on my hips. I'm going to play a young girl of 21. I'm going to play it for real. I'm going to play the real character. So I don't really think, I think probably I'm an actor that, can be very funny and I know I can be very funny and I also can be quite sad as well and increasing as I get older I'm asked to do more drama and it surprises me but I suppose you just get more gravitas as you get older you get more experience and um, more objectivity Um, but yes I mean I I did do a lot of comedy in the early years and um, that that is where my reputation lies. Yeah I guess that's good if you're starting to get more into drama as well it's good to feel that you're not being sort of I don't think it's a case of getting into drama that I'm getting into drama I think it's a case the notion that you can actually define a career is is just well it's just it's just nonsense it's you know however you want to put yourself forward other people it's other people unless you're going to write your own stuff like Julia like Steve like I like all these very clever people you know you, you can't really formulate your career you 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 get the jobs that come in you get the auditions that come in the self tapes and you go up for stuff and and it's and it's really what people see in you so I'm not getting into it myself it's just how people perceive you and that's what the profession is all about it's about how you're perceived yeah definitely so I know Julia said she sometimes kind of gets people coming up to her and quoting Jill Tyrrell do you ever kind of get people approaching you and saying how many of those have you had Sue or anything like that yeah that's the only one I get Sophie that's the only one how many (laughs) have you had Sue? they absolutely love that that's the one quote they come out with and actually it was a piece of genius that line because, you know, then then that gave... I mean, what was very clever about Julia is that she kept on giving different dimensions to the character. And I did too. And, then she, you know, she said it's a great collaboration because the character on paper we weren't sure about, but, but Julia knew she wanted her to have massive boobs, so obviously knew the kind of character she wanted. Disingenuous, slightly devious, using her body to, to, to get on, her sexuality. And then also she's greedy, you know, and loves biscuits. And that was just such a delightful little you know, a little twist to put on it. And that, you know, she likes talking about mini roundabouts and, you know, parking and things like that. You know, she's the epitome of suburbia, or what we think is suburbia. And so um, or what we think people talk about in suburbia. But, I mean, you know, that that's that's what made the character and, and made it fulfilling yeah. for me to play because I didn't want to just play her the, the sex front, sexual sort of predatory front. I wanted to play something else as well inside because everyone comes from somewhere. And she's, you know, wanted her to be in search of... A moral center because she had a moral vacuum so um and that drive gave her a drive you know gave her some incentive as a character to be watchable because people are always wanting something or they're wanting to change something or change themselves or change someone else um and and, and that's what makes things interesting because it people are moving forward and how do you feel about how things ended for sue because she kind of she basically got off with don didn't she and then I mean, it always sort of went wild towards the end. Do you think, um, would you like to go back to playing Sue at some point? Would you welcome that? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, she would be a, a much older woman and uh, even sadder, you know, so you'd have more to play, really. <laughs> You've got more to sort of more string to play. But really, seriously, I would always work with Julia. I absolutely love what Julia does. I love her mind. I love her as a person. 
I have absolutely massive respect for her. But I also love, you know, my revelation in um, was well, the second time I worked with her on Sally Forever. Uh, the revelation was also working with Julian Barrett, who is, I have to say, a genius, yes. an absolute genius. You know, they 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 are great. They are an amazing match. They really are. I mean, he's a very very bright, very fine actor. And um, would often help scenes in Sally Forever, you know, help us gel and help us mould moments where we weren't all sure about what was happening and, and, you know, alert Julia, you know, as to that. And uh, Julia would have got it in the end, you know, realised in the end, but it was just like he, he, he kind of quickened the pace and quickened the, the process. Yeah, so let, let's move on to Sally Forever, where you played Eleanor, obviously. Um, how did you sort of get the call about that? Well, it was another, it was another sort of, you know, people say it was an audition. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Julia sort of says come in for a read, but you know it's an audition. And actually, I think that's a very fair way to do it. If ever I was casting, I'd say, look, come in for a read. Unless you're so sure of someone, you're so sure what they're going to do that you just say you offer it to them. You know, I, I, I totally appreciate that. And so I, I went in and I, I read for several parts. can't quite remember what the other one was at the moment, but um, I wanted the one I played. I wanted Eleanor because I thought she was a fruitcake mm-hmm. and I thought I could, you know, really... <laughs> I could really do something with Eleanor. Um, and um, so, we, you know, we, we, we read it the whole way through. We, we read most of the scenes. And I, you know, I, I just felt incredibly excited because I thought it was an incredibly exciting project. And also I love the cast. Catherine Shepherd, for goodness sake. I mean, she's such a wonderful actress. Alex, I love Alex. I've worked with him before. And mm-hmm. Jane Stannis, uh, you know, Vicky, Pepperdine, Georgie, you know, all those people are just, you know, they're... they're mm-hmm a staple of great actors and I just I just knew that you know Steve Oram I, I knew that you know I'd been and Julian Barrett I knew that I was in really good company and I couldn't wait I was just waiting to dive in she's such an annoying character but obviously in a hilarious way I think I've heard you say before that you were running lines with your son at one point and he told you to stop because he just <laughs> couldn't stand how insufferable the character was is that right yes he well he was very happy to do it you know uh, he came home to stay for a while and he just, he said, okay, mum, all right, let's go. And then, cause, because he said, suddenly there's a glaze over my eyes and I become Eleanor. And actually, <laughs> it's so indecent to start flirting with your own son, but that's what she does and the slyness of the eyes. And so he said, right, okay, what I want you to do is just do a, a straight, a straight, we'll do a line bash, mum. I don't actually want you to be Eleanor. And I said, look, look this is ridiculous. I'm playing Eleanor. And he, and he said, I know you are, mum, but I can't cope with it, okay? So I said, fine, okay, I'll just I'll just do a line bash. Not very helpful, Luke, but thank you very much anyway. So he started again, and I couldn't help but slip it about a page, or a couple of pages in, I began to slip into being Ellen again. And he just slammed the paper down and said, right, that's it. I'm sorry, mum, I cannot do this with you. This is the only time I can't do stuff like this with you. I can't bear her. <laughs> Unbearable. And I mean, yeah, the, the, even just the noise of the wheelchair where you can sort of hear her approaching... <laughs> labeling the dairy products <laughs> it was quite interesting that um i was asked by one journalist did i mind playing such an an unsympathetic character and i said i reveled in it i absolutely loved it i'm often given quite empathetic characters to play and i absolutely love playing someone like that that's just you just feel unnerved in the room when you're with them and i've been with people like that and you can't put your finger on why you're so unnerved but you are. You're mm-hmm. deeply unnerved. You walk away thinking, what the fuck was that about? What was that about? What, what is she doing? What the vibe <laughs> she's putting out? Of course, she's another deeply unhappy character. But everything she does with that wheelchair, she is trying to change everyone around her. She is trying to become a centre of attention. She is trying to get Nigel. And more and more, she, it doesn't work when she's trying to be nice. 
the more angry she's getting inside. So there was an awful lot to play. It was absolutely fantastic. And eventually she just explodes, you know, on Sally because she's so jealous of her. So, um, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, Julie gave me a great part to play. I was, I was completely thrilled. I'm very sad, actually, we couldn't do a second series. But um, I know HBO loved it. It's a case of whether Julia feels she can do something with it, you know, in the second series and where to go on it. And so um, mm-hmm. I, I think probably that's it. But it was, it was a gem of sort of seven episodes, I think. Yeah, I watched a few episodes last night for the first time in a while. And I'd forgotten about that bit where Eleanor, she's kind of stalking Nigel around the art gallery. Oh, yeah. And then she's like trying to, trying to feed him some cake and take a selfie. Uh, it's just, and even just drinking in a really slurpy way i can see why that was a, a really fun character to play for oh, a change just to kind yes. of be as irritating as possible i mean what luke said to me my son he said you could easily transfer this character to be a murder you know be a murderer <laughs> or a psychopathic you know a really psychopathic character that's very dangerous he said because he said it's just a slip of the dial it's just like just you know like seven degrees of separation he said there's almost like 0.11 percent of separation here that this character could be extremely dangerous. And actually, I love the idea that you could just flip the character and turn her into some sort of very, you know, rather sort of evil person. I thought I was fascinated in that. Yes, and I love the little um, the little sort of backstory of her mum ran her over when she was very young. And I think I've written, I've written down, she said she thought it was a large dog, but we think she knew. I mean, it's a genius of Julia that she comes up with these amazing lines and then she'll make suggestions during filming. I mean, she's really, you know, she's a really terrific director. Um, I mean, it was just such a treat to be directed by her. Yeah, I was going to ask how was it to work with her as a director as well, because I guess that was uh, quite different from Nighty Nights. Um, well, she wasn't directing. Um, mm-hmm. So we had different directors who were, you know, who were good, very good. Uh, but somehow with Julia directing her own material, it just suddenly got really exciting because you, you, you realised you were, she kind of pushed you into areas where she wanted you to go um, and it's her material. So she knows where she wants you to go. And so you felt very safe and and with all of that, you can have a lot of fun as well because of it. She's got a very sure hand, very, very deft hand in directing. And I don't know, I was just really impressed. Love to work with her again, you know. And did you get to sort of improvise much on Sally Forever in comparison to Nighty Night? Or was it quite scripted? Well, Nighty Night, I think, I so 15 years ago now, is it, Nighty Night was, was heavily scripted. Um, mm-hmm. Sally Forever, we did try some improvisation. Um... But a lot of it was written. I mean, sometimes things didn't quite work out, so things happened and so we had to change things slightly. But generally speaking, most of it was written. But if I wanted to add mm-hmm. something, um, you know, I've just done a movie, which I've, I I was in um, in Rome and Liège, and the Italian film director said, you know, if you've got anything to bring Felicity over the phone to me before the film, bring it. You know, she said, I've written, I've written this, but just bring any extra bits you think might add to it your research. And so I, I, I listed all the things I'd researched and uh, because it's an historic uh, movie and uh, mm-hmm. the characters are historic. And um, she was absolutely delighted and she worked those things in with her writing. And, and the same with Julia. If you go with something really valid to Julia, if Julia thought it could work, you know, she's very empathetic to women and like Susanna Niccarelli, the film director in, in Italy you know, they, they they like women and they, they want those ideas, then um, it's an enormously rich working experience, don't you think? I mean, it's, um, 
you often don't get that, I have to say. Again, in Sally Forever, are there any kind of particular lines or moments that really stick in your mind as favourites? Um, well, I mean, from my own point of view, I, I love working with everyone, you know, but I particularly love working with Julian Barrett. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't get so many scenes with Julia, which I felt was quite sad about. Um, but I loved working with Julian. He's the subtlety and um, the way he plays, you know, away from the camera almost. It's like he knows exactly what he's doing, but he's such a generous performer. And I, I, I loved his bits. I loved his bits with, um, uh, you know, with, with, with Julia, with Sally. I loved his the love affair. I loved the fact. And I, I, I love working with Catherine. I mean, she's just, she's honestly, she's just a, she's a genius consummate. She really is. She's a, she is amazing. She and Julian together, um, their subtlety is is fantastic. I mean, Catherine is such a giggler. She's so funny. She's such a giggler. And I couldn't, if I saw Catherine giggle, I have to giggle because it's like, she's just such a, it's her, her laughter, like Julia, is incredibly infectious. I mean, we had, we had a ball. We really did. We had such good fun. We really, I mean, we really had loads of fun without being unprofessional. You know, we, um, we all liked each other. You know, everyone's, you know, everyone was a, you know, everyone got on, you know. Yeah, I think I've heard Julia say that, you know, she's quite a bad corpser, but she thinks that Catherine Shepherd is possibly even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you can I think you you can sometimes see in certain scenes a little a little smirk coming that's been kind of left in, but it works for the character because she's such an awkward character. I know, but the combination between Julia and um Catherine is quite extraordinary. I think they're great friends actually. I mean, I don't know, but I mm-hmm. think they are. But, but they 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 really found it difficult sometimes to get through scenes I mean they are <laughs> such gigglers they really are I mean they're they're fantastic together I mean it, it's it really was a joy to watch them actually working together um really was actually because they had something quite magical between the two of them it, they, they, their, their comic timing is I mean Catherine's just a I mean Julia is born with this huge talent writing and acting and and um and and Catherine has inherited and is born with this immense talent for this immensely talented family she comes from and um it's just easy for Catherine I mean acting is just easy for her I mean she'd probably scream at me say no it's not but to me (laughs) it looks like she's just like you know like you know a wonderful artist who draws a line and then connects a line you think no they've just born with it they've just got it and that's Catherine and you also got to do the uh, the Puss in Boots photo shoot oh my with, God. Uh, with, with Alex McQueen. <laughs> well, I love working with Alex. I mean, he's just, he is, as, you know, everyone says, is, is fab. he's fab. I mean, Alex is fab. He's funny. He calls, he calls mm-hmm. you ducky. He calls everyone ducky. And uh, <laughs> he's got a huge brain on him. And um, he's so likable and personable. And he's very clever. He comes up with very funny lines and offers them up and... Um, He's a hundred percent and hundred percent, fifty percent in the scene, um, and that was just that was really fun that afternoon. It was shocking but fun, really good fun with Alex. You know, he's we, brilliant. Again, we've done quite a bit together, and uh, we love working together. And um, he's very special. Yeah, he he's fantastic. I've been rewatching The Thick a bit recently, and whenever he pops up in it, it's always a treat because he's just so brilliant. <laughs> And in the episode with the sort of the work outing where you all go in and stay at the hotel, obviously that ends with you sort of running out of the hotel. You know, you're not in the wheelchair anymore. Was that something in the script that kind of surprised you? Or did you know that, you know, going into it, oh, she's not, she doesn't actually need the chair? Uh, well, I knew when I read the scripts that, that was the case. 
I mean, I didn't when I auditioned for it, but I, um, Julia mm-hmm. kept that under wraps. And it was a, it was quite a big secret so that we didn't talk about it before it, before it came out. Um, but I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful, because it just explains the fact that, you know, when mm-hmm. she's panicking trying to get out because there's a fire and she can actually walk. When I knew someone who um, talked her way into a wheelchair, uh, you know, and could walk. And the doctors were saying, you can walk. She walked herself into the wheelchair. She took steroids, she took drugs, and she ended up having to need a wheelchair in the end. And and it's it's deeply disturbing that someone can be, you know, that psychologically ill. And um, so mm-hmm. there's a, the thing is about Julia, there's a deadly seriousness in everything that she does. It comes from a sorrow. It comes from a sadness in life. And then there's a, then there's a mischievous side to her where she turns it on a sixpence. And that's what makes her writing so alluring. And um, her TV shows, and, and I, goodness knows what she's going to produce in future years because um, she has such a lively, imaginative mind. And, um, and she... She, you know, she she kind of not mocks society, but she sort of mocks the mores of society in a way that she mm-hmm. just blasts it wide open. Because, you know, people smile and say terrible things to each other. They smile and do terrible things to each other. They go to dinner parties, they smile and they flirt with a husband, you know, someone's husband. Mm-hmm. And they don't give a shit, really, but they're smiling, saying I'm a nice person. And that's really, Julia's getting at the core of that, saying actually, fuck these people that pretend that they're nice or pretend they're doing this, that and the other. Actually, this is what it's about. Uh, ruthlessness or you know and, and so she she satirizes it and I, I I think that's intriguing it's clever yeah it's difficult to sort of categorize isn't it because people always say oh it's very very dark comedy but then you get certain moments that are incredibly silly and light-hearted and you know there isn't really a label you can put on it because she just sort of does so many things at once well that's why Julia's unique I mean that's why she's you know she's cut a you know a deep wedge in the profession uh, you know in in comedy at the moment because well and, and for a long time now because she has her own voice and all very good writers the best have their own voice they're not writing for someone julia writes for herself and that makes her identity mm-hmm. very um very clear and very you know very um redolent and 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 people notice it and sit up and and and, and she has a hugely loyal following because she has such a strong voice. Yeah, like as you said about making herself laugh, I, I've heard, I think I've heard her say that when she's writing things, she doesn't necessarily think that it's shocking. And then when she kind of sees it at a screening and everyone's gasping, she suddenly realizes that oh, everyone finds this really shocking. I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, she's yes, yeah. Well, she lives. I, she writes in her own world. It's um, uh, and she's a great observer. So as I say, it's her voice that um is so clear and um, and underlined and, and beautifully pinpointed. So I think that people people get addicted to her work. Def- well, yes, example sitting right here. <laughs> so obviously um, at the BAFTAs last year, Sally Forever ended up winning Best Comedy. And I think you were there on the night, weren't you? How was that feeling? Oh, it was so exciting because we didn't think we were going to win. We thought the Derry Girls would win. And um, mm. I so wanted Julia to win for her sake, actually. I mean, you know, all the work she put into it and the hours she doesn't see her boys, you know, by doing all this work and she's so close to them and they're so, such wonderful kids. And they, they, you know, they understand mum and dad have got to work and, and stuff. But I can, I, you know, it, it, it's difficult when you've got young kids and you've, you're directing it and you're writing it and, um, you know, and you're in it, you know, it's very time consuming. And, and so I was very proud that she won. And I happened to meet Frazier, so that was just incredible yes. on the stage. I just couldn't believe it, you know. This legend was on the stage, same stage, giving away the war to Julia, which was phenomenal. No, it was a wonderful night. It really was a fabulous night. It was, uh, 
oh, just very exciting, you know. I mean, you know, I have gone up on stage with Steve before. I've never won an award myself, but it was just so wonderful to go up with the team and it was so generous of Julia to take us all up with her. She seemed genuinely surprised, like she genuinely wasn't expecting it at all. She wasn't. prepared anything. Oh, she absolutely wasn't, nor was Catherine. I mean, nor was Julian. They, we all felt that, you know, from them, they said, oh, I don't think we've got it, but look, we're going to have a great night. Let's have a really nice time. And then when they said, you know, Julia Davis, and, and we just all like, and I wasn't going to go up. And Julia went, yes, come on, we're all going up together. This is <laughs> very much, a t- she's very, very generous, Julia. She's enormously kind and generous. She, she, you know, goes out of her way to make you feel you're part of the team. Whereas, you know, some people write stuff and they, you know, it's theirs and they go up, which is fine. But, you know, Julia says, this is the team that's part of me and, 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 you know, she was very emotional, which was what well, we all were. We were all really kind of like cock a really thrilled. Yeah, it was brilliant. And as you said before, it's going to be interesting to see where she goes from here because she's done so much over the last, well, it's about 20 years now, created so many different shows. And it still feels like she has still has loads of time to do loads more. So it's going to be exciting to see what she does next. Yeah, I think it's watch this space really with Julia because, you know, she'll come up with something when you least expect it. I mean, as I say, I I, I thought that she would want to do Sally Forever because I think the networks absolutely loved it. The HBO loved Mm -hmm. it. And I think in America they they liked it. But I have no idea really whether she'll do another one. I I suspect she'll move on to a new idea. Um, And, you know, I'm excited to see what it'll be. It'll be a development. It'll be something different. It's it's uh, you know, it'll be great, great, very exciting. Yeah, with most of her shows, she seems very content to do the one series and then that's it. I think Nighty Night's the only one really where there's been two full series, and that's quite re- refreshing. She doesn't want to milk it. <laughs> no, but I think if she can find a story, she would do it. But she needs a story mm. to do it, and that's the. That's that, that's the thing. If she if she if she can't find a really strong, I mean, I mean, Coogan says that he says, you know, if we can't find a strong enough story, we won't be doing it. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, people who uh, keep on doing series and they find these, you know, it gets weaker and weaker. It's better that you go out with good memories and um, than yeah. do something that's just not very exciting and everyone feels a bit embarrassed by it. Not that you'd ever would with Steve yeah. or Julia, but you, you know what I'm talking about, the series that go on and on and limp mm-hmm. on and everyone's earning money and actually think, God, you know, give up. It's like, it's sort of had its day. You know, the audience is getting bored now. So um, you've recently started a podcast with your daughter called the Mother Daughter Manual. I have indeed. Um, what was the impetus for starting that? I think, I don't know really. I mean, Olivia and I co-wrote something with Catherine Jakeways. Um, she was the lead writer on it uh, for Radio 4 and it got nominated mm-hmm. for uh, two Radio Awards and didn't win, but we were very proud of that. And uh, and then we didn't get a second series. Sean Ed, uh, the commissioner at Radio 4, didn't want it. Um, we were a bit shocked by that, but we didn't get it. But then we went on, we're sort of co-writing something else. And then Livy and I said, well, look, we did something in Salisbury Playhouse. We asked to do a charity and we went down and we, we played, you know, the mother and daughter from Guilt Trip. And we had three people in the auditorium. We had three hundred people in the auditorium, and we just made everybody howl. Um, mm-hmm. Like our slot was about twenty-five minutes. Robert Lindsay was watching, and Joe Stilgo. All sorts of people were there, and we we sort of thought, "Wow, actually!" And a couple of directors afterwards came up to us and said, "There's something special between the two of you on stage. What is it? We can't, you know, it's really, really good. You should go off and do something together." Well, anyway, we're sort of like lounging about one day, you know, during lockdown, moaning at each other because she's come home for a while <laughs> to live like Luke did. And um, we just said, well, wait, let's just try it. Let's just try and with, with her bro- with her brother, Luke, as well. And the three of us got together. He's producing and editing it. And we just we just tried it. And we just, for the first one was a laugh with Beth Granville. Um, and then I thought, well, I'll, 
you know, some of my mates like Pippa Haywood and I asked for Francis Barber and it's sort of grown and grown really. And then my agent said, there's something in this and um, we really like it. And so we've, from that, we've got quite a few meetings with people um, about the mother-daughter manual and, and taking it on from there. And it's, um, it's great fun working with your own daughter. I don't know what she'd say mm. with me, but um, we, you know, we do have a very interesting relationship. You know, when she was born, my mother died a couple of months later. Um, it was hard, it was tough. Um, we've had other tough times and we've got through them, but always with a sense of humour and a sense of optimism. And I think we're enormously fond of each other. Or we tolerate each other. And um, <laughs> and we're a bit silly with each other as well. Daft as ducks, really. But, we, but I think that people are beginning to like it very much and um, find it quite comforting. And uh, I don't know, quite a few women bump into me say well I've just done my walk and I've listened to episode four and I was howling and laughing and then you know you do an interesting interview like the last one is with Lucy Pinder who who did modeling Mm -hmm. um uh you know when she was young and she talks about topless modeling and and she's it's quite sad at times when she talks about it and quite moving and profound and then other times she's hilarious about it so um we just want it we don't always want to do women we'll be doing we'll be doing women and we'll be doing men as well with their relationships with their parents or their brothers and we're just going to expand out on it and see how it goes yeah the mother-daughter dynamic is very fun um obviously lots of comedy to be had there and like you said you've had lots of really interesting guests uh Lucy Pinder, Gemma Whelan, Emily Lloyd Saney. Mm. Uh, yeah, have you? Um, is it series one you've uh, finished now, but planning to do Just more? Just got the last one. We're doing it with Rue Irvine. Ah, okay. Rue Irvine is very interesting because she is on Antique Roads Trip, and I like her very much. And um, she is very interesting about her mother and um, about you know she's she's an, an Asian woman and she you know she loves the culture. Uh, but there are things she doesn't want to stick with and that's that's complicated and she you know it's complicated with the mother she wants to talk about that she's really coming on to mm-hmm. she said because she said without just want to hurt her mother's feelings but she said she's just going to be talking about it and she said she's really pleased to do it so I think people want to come on sometimes because they want to talk about stuff like France mm-hmm. was delighted to be able just to be able to talk about her mum you know who'd gone and Pepper was the same you know and, and it was very they felt it was a lovely experience for them so that's a sort of that's the sort of business we're providing. Um, that's the sort of thing we're doing at the moment. So um, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll do a second series, you know, come more September time, October time. Yeah, everyone everyone listening should go and check out that podcast because it's very good. Um, and apart from the mother-daughter manual, is there anything else coming up for you that you want to let people know about uh, Well, I think you can t- talk about... Um, I've been invited to the Venice Film Festival by uh, the Italian film director, uh, a film oh. called Miss Mark starring Romana Garai. Uh, and I play, I'm fourth in, um, you know, in, in the cast list. And I play a character called Helen DeMuth, who was the housemaid um, and had an affair with Marx and was a great friend mm-hmm. of Marx's wife, um, Jen de Westphalen, who was devastated when she found out. And um, it, the film isn't just about that. The film is about Eleanor, the daughter um, of Marx, one of the four daughters of Marx, I think four. Um, and it's a very beautiful film. And, and I'm in about sort of, sort of like 40-50% 40, 40% of it. So I'd like to punt that. Miss Marks, directed by Susanna Niccarelli. Mm-hmm. And there are other things going on, but, you know, at the moment, it's like we go month to month, week to week. Yes, it's going to happen. Yeah. No. So it's not really worth me talking about at the moment. Um, we've got projects uh, with, you know, production companies, and we've got projects with channels, and 
we'll just see how it goes really you know we're all going Mm -hmm. snail pace aren't we (laughs) yeah sort of taking it day to day seeing uh what how the rules are going to change indeed you never know what's going to happen in life over a long time and things just come second wing and it's it's how you deal with it and the choices that you make um I, i reckon and and how fate you know wields its heavy hand and so um i think we're all coping we're all getting by and um that's all we can do isn't it Thank you for listening to this episode of Smashed Prawns in a Milky Basket. You can find us on Twitter at Julia Davis QOTD and you can find me at It's Sophie Davis. This podcast was edited by Alex Bondek with original music by Martin Ford and Matt Bond. <laughs>